Hello and welcome to Happy Place. I'm Fern Cotton and this is the place where we can all be honest about our real highs and our real lows. It's all very cathartic. Today we're spending time in the company of Billy Piper. This woman once said to me that you can't have three things. You can't have like a really successful career, really, really strong ties with your kids and a loving, intimate relationship with your partner. One of those things will always fall apart. And I think that's kind of true. I think it's really hard to do all of those things at the level that the world expects you to do them. Billy and I have been dipping in and out of each other's lives since we were teenagers, really. I remember interviewing her literally decades ago. Surely I'm not old enough, but it's true I am. So it was really lovely to just catch up on where she's at right now. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promo rate for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Should we do it? Here's the show. So good to see your beautiful face. Um, so good to see your face and that lovely background. Is that is that a padded it, wall? It's a padded wall. Um, yeah, it's a that's little... very spenny. Well, you know what? It, I did a budget version because if you were to ask for a padded wall, it would be indeed spenny. But um, <laughs> I bought fabric in a shop next door to my house, some foam off a big website, and then my builder just attached it to a plank of wood. Well, panels of wood. So I've got a little studio wall at home now. That's so great. Yeah, it's just I've I I had to. It was getting. I was basically under a a duvet or with a blanketed wall in my stepson's bedroom for like a year, <laughs> and I just I can't I can't do this anymore. I know. It's just been mad. How have the last twelve months been for you? Mm. Well. Uh, it's hard to um, think beyond the last three months, isn't it? Because I think that has been quite desperate times and a test of the human spirit. And and so I I think the first lockdown, there was a sort of excitement about it and a a sort of new simplicity to life that felt quite welcome because it came off the back of a load of work. So I just felt like, actually, this is great. And, you know, all of that romanticising, like being a homeschooling mother have you I don't know if you ever did that but I used to think I was capable of doing that oh yeah how naive we were (laughs) (laughs) so naive (laughs) I just um and you know you'd sort of like lockdown one was like oh let's um you know, let's do an hour on Bowie and, you know, a three-hour hike and just to sort of, like, the sort of, those sort of things. And none of that really happened, or at least it wasn't that successful. No. So, look, it's been up and down. 
It's been up and down the last three months, I'm sure. Wow, it's it's an unremarkable story. It's the same for everyone, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It's been the most, you know, grounding situation I think any of us have been through. And like you say, you know, there was that that weird sort of novelty factor in the first lockdown and we all did think oh because I remember that first two weeks of lockdown like oh my god this homeschooling thing is going to be so fun I'm going to teach the kids so much cool stuff we were making like pirate ships out of cardboard boxes now it's like come watch tv yeah watch tv watch as much netflix as you because we're just trying to survive and get through this i mean that's that's literally all we can do it's been but i think i've been i've been living for your instagram like sunday night chats is it sunday night or whenever i watch we've been doing a lot of sunday night where it's like you. you know just just real talk about how it's feeling and also just energetically honest from you it's just like (laughs) <laughs> it's just been I've been there for that so oh, thank I needed you. it so much and yes it's so important to say yeah I just sat my child in front of the TV yes. for four hours which is something I always did as a kid anyway same like, I was all because we didn't have a nanny or a no babysitter so you just you just the TV was your sort of you know childcare but also it was like you know we weren't as connected as kids because we didn't have the internet so I would literally get up on a Saturday watch the raccoons then watch all of Live and Kicking which was like five yeah. hours long yeah. and I didn't my parents weren't going come on let's I don't even know where they were God knows I I didn't care where they were I was having the best time ever so I think we put so much pressure on ourselves these days and we do just have to like give ourselves a break because we're living through something extraordinary so you know whatever I I would also like to say thank you um, because you've given me some beautiful stuff to watch over the lockdown I Hate Susie and Rare Beasts have been two wonderful (laughs) bits of escapism for me not relaxing not relaxing (laughs) but just so clever and brilliant as as I obviously knew they would be and um, and it's so wonderful to see because you know I've kind of known you on off since since we were kids and it's amazing to see where you're at now which is in a place where you are creating your own work and from the outside it seems like that is of paramount importance that you have that agency over your work is is that right mm. yeah definitely i i feel like um the last sort of four or five years professionally have been the most fruitful and and it's because I guess it's because um, I'm just, I'm more confident. Maybe that's an age thing. And and also I just have learned how to be a bit more honest. So all the work feels a bit more honest. And actually people respond really well to that. And it feels like such a risk, that stuff. Because especially nowadays, isn't it? Because everyone's just seems wildly opinionated judgmental or at least you're exposed to judgment so much so much more so it was a bit terrifying but it's gone so well I I I just feel I feel like I should have bloody just talked about this stuff years ago but again I wasn't obviously in the right headspace or didn't have the tools to and the courage to say what I thought I guess I feel exactly the same you know I'm I guess I'm doing work now that I really give a shit about and that I really really love and I definitely didn't have the confidence to do that 10-15 years ago but I also don't feel like there was 
the space for it. So I think maybe yeah. for you and I, as well as it being age and confidence, there is now also room to have like a very honest dialogue or creative outlet that possibly wasn't there before. Yeah, the times have changed so much and, and, and for the better. And yeah, I agree. I think there's more space for women speaking honestly. But it's taken a while and it's probably still got a long way to go. Yeah, I agree. But I think, you know, you're one of the mavericks doing that. Like you are, you're putting stuff on the big screen, on mainstream TV for us to tackle tricky subjects. And what I've been so interested in watching Rare Beasts and I Hate Susie is that you understand pain so well. Like you obviously have a deep curiosity about pain or tricky emotions and are willing to lean into them is that Mm. accurate yeah yeah I am I care a lot about authenticity I I keep saying this word over and over again it's like I'm sort of hammering it into my own head be authentic be authentic but I, I I care about certainly giving people a broader portrait of a woman first of all it's more satisfying for me as a writer or or an actor and director now but I, I feel like that's a responsibility as well and I feel like there's always been really brilliantly fleshed out stories in theatre for women although admittedly all of them are mental but you sort of you do get you do start to understand why they have arrived at that place and it's happening more in TV I think film weirdly has got quite a long way, journey to go with that at the moment everyone's so preoccupied with sort of superheroes and women and just people generally being strong and powerful and I just find that sort of messaging really unhelpful Mm. and so in my quest with my work is as much as it's to sort of satisfy me and almost just appeal to my mates (laughs) I do I do want to like sort of talk more specifically about women in a way that's you know we're, the, the comedy that we have the, the cost of what it, it means to be female and and a lot of that isn't easy to watch or to receive it's not shiny it's not at all palatable and sometimes it's really people find it quite unlikable and, and, and sometimes people don't don't like things that are complex and certain in, in that way or char- female characters um, that are complex in that way because it's um, they want to see us being golden and motherly I think no they do I think there is still this expectation for whether it's you know women in real life who are in the public eye or not you know just everyone's on social media now so everyone's got that sort of platform you yeah, know it's absolutely. much more acceptable for women to be good and you know benevolent and sweet and mm. you know not really have a massive opinion and you know i'm 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 broadly generalizing but i do think a lot of it really does still exist and certainly you know you can see that in tv and film whereas your portrayal of life it is messy and life is messy like it mm. is that it's it's never as shiny and lovely as it looks in a big hollywood film or on instagram it's just not like it is a massive mess and i i think that your work is a a true celebration of that it's it's mm. looking at that mess and going you're just normalizing it like this yeah. is what life's about and you know and I loved in you know I, I dm'd you after I watched the first episode of I hate Susie yeah. which uh, to some extent I was dreading watching because I knew it was going to just like smash me around the head and go like oh my god how much of this resonates from my own story you know yeah. I spoke to other women in the public eye who were like Ah, it was so accurate. Like, so many little nuanced moments were so accurate. And unpicking those 
what we, I guess, would deem tricky emotions is mm. what you are an expert at. What, what interests you about what we might deem as a negative or a tricky emotion within your work? Um, well, first of all, how funny it is to watch. <laughs> like, it, it's horrible to experience. Yeah. But it's very entertaining to watch. Um, and so there is that. I mean, I've got quite a... a bleak sense of humour and, and Lucy who wrote I Hate Susie um, shares that and there's just something slightly more entertaining about it but also I just think you just want to, I don't know, I just I have a desire to just reach through the screens and sort of shake people and hope that they connect with it and, and if anything that there is a sense of relief I guess the instinct is one of sharing but it, but it is. It's, it's, it's not everyone's sort of cup of tea. But I think it's something I'm going to keep mining, and who knows where it will end. <laughs> but, uh, but, but, um, but it, but people seem to, res- you know, l- largely seem to respond well to it. I, I think you know we have a sort of a similar desire in a sense that we're really willing to be vulnerable and you know we know that you you know your work certainly with rare beasts and i hate susie aren't autobiographical they're they're Mm. emotions that you understand there are circumstances that you can draw upon but i think you know you're willing to be vulnerable in your work i'm certainly willing to you know i'll just say anything these days i don't really care i'll just you know again going back to authenticity i want to I want to share with with people i want them like you say to have that sense of relief to normalize stuff that might feel you know, things that you're massively worried about or ashamed about or whatever. And I think vulnerability, essentially, like, you know, I'm a huge fan of Brene Brown. And I think yeah, I love too. her. T- oh, I love her. I love her talks. I, I love her books. And I think when looking at shame, which, again, is something that you explore massively in Rare Beasts and I Hate Susie, you know, you've got that that really heavy emotion shame none of us like to feel it or we hate it and none of us really want to look at it but it's there and we've all experienced it and I think the sort of connectivity lies in the vulnerability you know like sharing what you know and what and what you've experienced how do you feel you know after making something as personal as Rare Beast you know your baby Mm. something you've worked on so hard you wrote it you directed it you star in it do you feel vulnerable letting that into the wild yeah, probably more so than anything else I've done because they're, because I'm so much more invested from the ground up and it's been a labour of love for like eight years, really. And you just hope that people understand its sort of quest, although it's not, it's not a piece of work that's like, you must feel this. It's more of a, do you feel this? Yeah, yeah. Um, and so, and so, yeah. There is, there is a lot more tension around it for me this time. Whereas, and again with I Hate Susie, because yes, it's not autobiographical, but it's it's coming from five years of counselling my best friend and her counselling me, and it's a culmination of conversations we had moving out of our late twenties into our early thirties, which felt like really significant. Well, I guess, you know, it's, well, talking about vulnerability, it, maybe you've landed in a place where you're comfortable being vulnerable? Yeah, I, I think so. It feels sort of like the only way forward for me, and that's taken, like, 20 years of work and of life to not be afraid of, yeah, the sort of... the, the sharing the, vul- the vulnerability that, feel, that does feel... It, to be honest, it feels so important to me that I hope other people get it, but 
it's it matters that it's important to me do you know what I mean because I think it's important that it starts there and also sort of lifting the lid on things and having a good old laugh about them it's, it's just it just feels like the, the the right time for me to be um doing that and and it's um and I'm personally getting so much out of it but if I'm really honest a lot of it comes from and coincides with doing some sort of self-examination I don't think if I'd done that I would be making the work that I'm making right now and I also don't know which course my life would have taken like my early 30s were a, a, a moment in my life where I thought I have to start looking at these sort of patterns of behavior that aren't serving me well I have to start looking at what it is about me that or, or my circumstances that leaves me feeling a certain way why can't I move through certain emotions and it means you have to go right back and it's yeah. really hard it's so much fucking work yeah you know and not all of it works and the changes are subtle they haven't been like monumental for me they've been really smooth subtle uh, shifts but all of that has informed my work I think and and positively and that's why I love your recent book because it's like just having the courage to say what you actually feel and saying no to people instead of yes all the time it sort of rebuilds you as a person it was, it's been my 30s have been tough but I feel way more equipped Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. I think when you're doing that self-inventory analysis, like you're you're going in, you're checking out your past, you know, I'm... I'm still doing all this now. Yeah, and, me too. Yeah. It's, I don't think it ever ends once you've started. That's like you, you dive in and then that is it for life that you're you're constantly willing to to look at, like you say, your patterns of behaviour and, and dig around a bit. But do you think, you know, perhaps you're comfy in that vulnerability now and able to do this work that you feel so authentically attached to and so proud of and rightly so because you've got more acceptance around yourself and your past? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I needed I needed to do a lot of work. Same. I still and now do. I'm addicted to the work. Like I'm ad- I'm addicted to the like oh what next? Like I've gone through like a number of therapeutic like practices. I've done like um big workshops. I've done like analysis. I've done I've I've done tapping therapy. I mean that's what's in that's that was the idea behind Rare Beast. That was mm. sort of directly lifted from my own therapy experience. That one wasn't very effective for me. <laughs> but I had to sort of feature it in the film because it's like, God, we're going to such lengths just to try and hold our shit together. I know. I know. And we all are collectively like that's the beauty of it, you know I think you realise it, and I'm sure you've had that feedback from your own work, that once you do share something that feels a bit scary or deeply personal or, or you know, you explore tricky emotions in your work and other people go, oh, my God, me too, you realise, you know, no one's coping brilliantly. We might assume mm. they are. God, look at them, they look so shiny and sorted over there, but everyone's sorting their own shit out and, 
you know, like you say, we're going to all manner of lengths to, to try and do it. And, you know, I don't think there's no there's no bad thing. I think it's it's great to experiment and explore and, and try new things. Yeah. And you work out what works for you. Absolutely. And someone once told me just, just to have a... Because there is still so much stigma around it. And someone once told me just to have a dose of curiosity about it instead yeah. of looking at it like a lifelong affliction and something that you don't put much stock in or you just think is you know, it depends sort of which cloth you're cut from and where you're from what your background is and everything for, for me our family are stoics so you don't really talk about stuff and there yeah. is a, there you know I I can say this out loud and I don't feel bad about it there is a there is an attitude around therapy that isn't one of sort of goodwill you know it's um they're critical of it and suspicious <laughs> yeah <laughs> they're suspicious of it and that's that's really hard but someone just went like look if you literally just go along and even like you know you're going to get something out of it just have a dose of curiosity and when I when I felt when I took that to those early sessions that was very very helpful it's just how do you how do you get it for everyone do you know what I mean like how how can everyone access that support I think that will hopefully get better the more that we're using technology to reach more people you know it's still there's still huge yeah. uh, disparity for so many yeah. people not being able to whether it is try a new therapy or whatever I'm I'm trying in my own tiny way to help make it you know more Absolutely. accessible ideas but it's you know it, it's definitely hard but but I think also on a generational tip it is tricky because if I say to my mum oh I spoke to you know said therapist or whoever I've seen that week what's wrong with you oh like a lot but you know we won't go into that now it's like this is just a, a weekly or well, a daily endeavor so it doesn't have to be like an SOS moment which I think perhaps some of the older generation will see it as like and as you say it's geographically where you're from from where you're mm. brought up etc and you know we're both from working class backgrounds where that mm. you, that wasn't the done thing and I think Hopefully, as time moves on, we will just see that any kind of, I don't know what you want to call it, if it's mindfulness or, or mm. you know... How are you with mindfulness? Um, You're quite good at it, aren't you? Well, I probably appear to be better than I am, I'll be honest with you. I think, you know, I, I don't meditate every day. I don't do any one thing every day. I know yeah. I should, but yeah. I will find every other excuse to stay busy. Oh. Um, And I think that's why I'm still on the quest to keep talking about it and putting it out there because I know it will help me so much if I apply a level of discipline, which I'm not good at. You know, I I don't know. I think that's why I'm I'm still trying lots of different things out. And it's not, you know, it's not, especially at the moment, like we're homeschooling, you know, you're homeschooling. Life's mad. Life's absolutely mad. So sometimes I do just want to put a, film on and not think about anything rather than meditate so you know I I, like most people dip in and out there's huge imperfections with with how I you know I know I know so much but I still apply so little to my own life yeah me too me too but you know it's it's just all I'm a work in progress the the mindfulness is like it's just it's there I can see it in the future but I'm not ready for it yet I think that's, I feel the same, you know, like one day when hopefully I'm not working as much and I live in the countryside, you know, pipe dream and I'm growing carrots and stuff. That's, 
that's where that's where the mindfulness is going to come in. Is. <laughs> it's like a long way down the line. When you need oh, it the least, that's when I need the least, it. it's going to come right into play. <laughs> God, the irony! And I do this for a living. Like what? I mean, it's madness. But this, you know, we're I complex know. human beings. We um, are. We're so complex. And you know, there's there's other parts of that human complexity that you show so beautifully in Rare Beasts, especially around motherhood. And I think, yeah. again, it's something that we're we, we're reticent to talk about. We we feel like we can't say we're struggling. We can't say we're finding it difficult. We can't mention that our kids aren't brilliant at certain things. And this is, you know, perhaps only in the last 10 years or 20 years, depending on what school your kids are at, where that pressure's really applied. Like, you know, yeah. what are the milestones and where are you at and are you dealing with it well and are you juggling? And, oh, my God, you know, it's just, I, again, it's one of those conversations that, doesn't happen that openly because people are I, th- I guess and I I'm saying this from personal experience mm. scared of judgment because it's mm. so much judgment around parenting oh my god it's so bad even my mum comments on that it's just like you know she's just like, I don't envy this at no. all it looks so much harder than when you guys were around as children which was just like their life just remained the same and we were just fitting into it yeah and arguably that there were a lot of downsides to that <laughs> but um but but there was a simplicity to it that I think my mum acknowledges and she sees me really grapple with um because it's constant work and people still want to view women and mothers as these and I you know I understand I understand why but it's like you can't be more than one thing emotionally or you should be able to do it all and you should be it's not enough just to live your life you have to be really successful now these might be pressures that I just put on myself although I think they are I certainly see it in my immediate circle of friends and 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 that's something yeah as you said I talk about in Rare Beast this this sort of cultural push and messaging that we we can be brilliant and have it all and do it all and and everything is will have as much meaning um as the next thing and it's like it's just it, it that's just not possible it's just not true it's not true this idea of striking a balance is almost unachievable and i think as soon as you let go and and just accept that that there are sort of useful changes but this woman once said to me that you can't have three things you can't have like a really successful career really really strong ties with your kids and a loving intimate relationship with your partner one of those things will always fall apart and I think that's kind of true I think it's really hard to do all of those things at the level that the world expects you to yeah. do them. You know, I can I can honestly say when I go to work, the kids really struggle. That's just the truth. When I'm at work all day long, that shows in my kids. Or it shows in my relationship with my partner or if I'm not at work and I'm with the kids all the time that also shows in me you know it's like I agree I feel like we have a responsibility to just be a bit more honest about what that actually looks like it's like yeah I am a mother at the school gate but I'm also a sexual being and I am wild sometimes and I behave like an idiot as well (laughs) and I have really dark thoughts that aren't circling 
this sort of bright, shiny, golden, huge thing with my kid all the time. Like, I have thoughts that aren't about all of that. I so agree. And, and, I, and it goes also even outside of those three pillars, which are, you know, so important. Because, you know, I absolutely feel the same. And I know that that trio is so hard to balance alone. You know, and I will often go to my husband on a Sunday night before we've got a manic week. I'm just like, I can't actually do this. I can't do this. And I often say to him, I don't know how to be a wife. I don't know how, like, I don't know what to get. I can't give you anything. I've got nothing to give you. Like, I say it all the time. And then that is, that is actually tricky enough in itself without then going, oh my God, what about like seeing some friends or like having any sort of social life and I have really let that one go like I see a very small group of friends that I absolutely love and they're essentially family you know they're my oldest schoolmates or people that I love dearly but I have pissed people off and I have to them possibly let them down because I haven't gone to a birthday party are you the flake in the friendship group not in my core friendship group, thank God, but probably to a lot of other people. I'm the person yeah. that just doesn't go to birthday parties because I can't fit it in right yeah. now. Like, maybe down the line when I'm growing carrots and doing meditating, I'll, I'll be yeah. back out on the party scene. But right now, it's gone. And I think, again, there's just that pressure that you've got to be able to do it all. You've got to have the shiny social life, be a great wife, be the perfect mum, cooking all the great food, and then be on it at work. You know, know. it isn't possible. It's impossible. It's I just, exhausting. It's so exhausting. I find myself, like, on a Sunday night, well, I cry at the end of pretty much every day, and I spend an hour in bed going, I'll be better tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be better, I swear. <laughs> I'm going to take a completely different task. <laughs> I'm going to read my parenting manual tonight, and things will be, things will be different tomorrow. <laughs> or I just spend Sunday nights going, this is me. <laughs> This is who I have. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's so hard. It's so bonkers. constantly going, are you on your period? It's like, <laughs> it's like every day. It's one are really long period, guys. Period? <laughs> <laughs> it's been a 10-year period, guys. I'm just working my way through it. That's what I it's know. felt like. I know, I know, I know. It's all bonkers. And I, and I agree that the conversation needs to, to be more honest and essentially without judgment. Otherwise, we're going nowhere. You know, we're not going to we're not going to feel more connected or supported at all as we all mm. try and do well at work and be decent parents and partners, friends, whatever. You know, we've, we've got to chat about it. Um, as I said, like, a little while ago in our chat, you know, I've sort of known you on off since we were kids. And, you know, I posted that picture on Instagram, oh God, I don't know, a I year ago. of Us, we were, like, 16. I mean, such cute little faces. And and to me, you know, I, I would interview you ad hoc over the years and, and you always seem to be from the outside someone sort of shiny beautiful confident person and, and I felt massively like an imposter in this sort of Wembley market cheap top and, and an awful bunches like awful hair and a dodgy cut fringe and oh you, I love that you oh, I, I'm still making peace with that me but um but you but you just seemed and I'm sure it isn't the case, but just to have it all together and so mature and so confident. But I wonder how how did you actually feel at that time? I think that probably in the beginning of uh, that time, I did feel those things. Um, I think I think I probably felt quite self assured. I was 
uh, willful and up for it and felt quite good. I think things change later on, sort of when I was 18. Um, I think that's when things started to look quite different and, and I didn't feel those I didn't feel those emotions at all. I felt I felt reclusive, I had an eating disorder, I was really angry and that was just the beginning of a very angry <laughs> uh, journey. And and then that's those those feelings would come and go for the rest of my life, I guess. I think when we were hanging out and and working together in those early stages, it was probably quite. I, I I think, although you always remember things slightly differently, but I think I was in in a relatively good spot. It just changed later on, and then it took a massive nosedive. And was that because you just sort of naturally hit a burnout? Do you think? Yeah, because I was exhausted. Because we were working as children. Mm. I think I. I unrivaled scheduling like I don't know anyone who worked as hard as I did when I was 15 I don't know it I I just don't know anyone who does that and I've certainly never worked that hard since so I think it was a combination of burnout the trauma of becoming like really really famous um complete disconnect with my family um a sense a lack of control or agency in my life in any aspect of my life hence the eating disorder and also the fact that I was a teenager so I was like physically changing and emotionally and psychologically changing so much and do you think a lot of the the sort of negatives that came out of that were a reaction to the fame or was it just the relentlessness of it I think it definitely was a combination of all of that I mean when I think about the life that I lived as a child in Kilburn with an 18-hour working day and never seeing my family in my formative years, which at the time felt like a massive tick to me. <laughs> um, but, um, but I see how that's negatively impacted my life. And yeah. that, that, that um, distance and not having that at that age has really affected my adult life in ways that I've only just come to terms with in my mid to late 30s so I think fame is a very 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 unhealthy beast and um I certainly wouldn't encourage my kids to go anywhere near it oh my god Uh, at at a young age and and you know it might be that I'm overly concerned about that but you know my experience is is one that I felt like I I just escaped from but it could have gone one of two ways I feel like I escaped it quite well. I think when... I don't know if you've watched that Britney documentary. We watched it. Yeah. I mean, I sort of recognise that world, and I'm sure you do, and you just think, God, it's so easy to not come out of that alive. Or or come out of that with, like, any sense of trust and um, without some crippling you know mental health issue and also the outside noise is so loud and I think you know god we were so lucky we didn't have social media at that point because I don't think I would have stayed in the career I honestly don't know you know I'm not even built for it now I I just sort of don't pay too much attention to it but I I'm not built for it I'm not thick-skinned at all I am highly sensitive and I really don't know 
if I could have stayed in it, you know, and, and you, you had fame and success on a different level to me, you know, you, you were flying all around the place. It was, it was really, really full on. But I think we both, you know, had that experience of it being really weird as teens. You know, I certainly made loads of strange decisions in my 20s and drank too much and I was bulimic for mm. a decade. And, you know, certainly that reaction to the lack of control, that resonates massively yeah. with me. I'm out of control. This is the only thing that I have that I can control. And mm. then in your 30s going, oh, my God, I need to look at all of that and work out what bits I'm still reacting on now. And, it, you yeah. know, like you said earlier, it's, it's a lot of work and it, it's, it's certainly not easy. But, you know, it again, you know, we reacted in really different ways in our 20s. I was just getting pissed. And, but I was still desperately wanting to succeed. I was still desperately wanting to to work and to climb like this ascent that doesn't really exist whereas again as the outsider you to me sort of made mature decisions I mean you you sort of stepped down from your singing career at that point and you didn't Mm. work for a long time out of choice you went traveling you got married it looked Mm. to me as as a sort of a liberating period of your life did it feel like that yeah definitely yeah it was what I feel what I describe as my sort of healing years, which is crazy considering the fact that I was living a a very sort of flashy life, but also a, you know, very hedonistic one. Um, But it's what I needed to do. I needed to go to the pub and be around mates and overeat or just eat. (laughs) (laughs) Eat and um, have late nights and not brush my hair and put on weight and um, read books and dig a pond. I needed to do all of those things that from the outside I think people weirdly look, looked upon as um, me being out of control and, and losing a sense of myself and being somehow manipulated when it couldn't have, that couldn't have been further from the truth. They were some of my happiest um teen early 20 years um and I needed them so badly and it also gave me space to reinvest with acting which is what I initially wanted to do I just think if you don't take time out I you're not growing a growing at all but I'm aware of the fact that I am someone who does have spells of overworking and and trying to satisfy this part this in this sort of restlessness trying to satisfy this part of me that I am trying to get to know in terms of what drives that I but thanks for saying that because I I think sometimes I think I was speaking to people yesterday were like oh are you a workaholic and actually I I don't know that I am I, I I definitely have had big periods of my life where I've yeah as you say got married or um, and were having kids, you know, that I didn't work for ages around that period of time. Do you think that would have been asked of a male actor? I doubt it. <laughs> Probably not. No? Probably not, no. Because they're just at work. Whereas, again, it goes back to that balance of, yeah. are you a workaholic? You know, it's that pressure, isn't it? And, and, you know, I feel the same. I love my work. I don't want to be ashamed of that. I love what I do. I feel so lucky to love it. And I am really driven and I am ambitious. I want mm. what I'm doing to do well. I don't think that has to be a bad thing or a negative. No, I know. I mean, I've only ever heard ambition be used against me as a sort Absolutely. of, of a, uh, as a criticism of myself. It's like if I, I've heard ambitious bitch or ambitious horse so many times in my life, and I 
I, I'm just like, fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> yes fuck off fuck off mate mate. absolutely because no absolutely not absolutely not but then trying to explain you know it's hard because you then it's funny trying to explain loving your work to your kids because you're like oh I'm going to work I love my job (laughs) you know like yes I get paid for it and and I need to and and I I need money but I also love what I do you know you just I just can't be normal around talking about it to anyone it's just it's like this thing this thing I have to be ashamed of I know and there's I often have guilt around it that I've made that choice because I like what I do I think you know there's it's complex especially you know as you say when you're trying to explain it to your kids it's oh my god it's an absolute minefield um do you feel like you know perhaps having a very extreme childhood and then essentially you know in your late teens early 20s a period of normalcy you know people might have thought it was out of control that but that's only in vast contrast to how controlled your life was previously you had some normalcy but do you feel like you've you have got a bit more balance now you can you can have a bit of both in your life oh my life is like I my life now is sort of a perfect mix of well, look, my my personal life is is kind of quite small and manageable, and that side of things is just I've hit a sweet spot with that. I like where I live. I like my circle of friends. I don't stray beyond it really. I don't like the entertainment world beyond m- me doing my job. And I don't feel like I have to do any of that stuff anymore. And for me, that's that's been um, that's sort of been a real peaceful realization. And I, you know, I, that balance that that's the only good sense of balance I have. The work one, I'm still trying to, well, just accept for what it is, or just not do it. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Just accept that it is going to be this thing that is. Um, because there's no sort of way to dip in and out, certainly not with writing and directing or something like I Hate Susie, which we created from the ground up together and it's an enormous amount of work. You know, there is no way to do that uh, in a sort of uh, part-time fashion. There isn't. It's like 14-hour days out of the house. And I've sort of decided just after doing I Hate Susie and Red Beast back-to-back that I just cannot work like that anymore and and it's for myself as well it's for my own mental health but physical health as well I just can't I think it is a sense of achievement but mostly I look back at that period of time and think which was quite recent and just think it's just too much it was just too much I'm glad it's there but was there a way that I could have potentially spread that over a number of years probably yeah, that's the hard thing with being creative, isn't it? There is often, if you've got the idea, you have to run with it then and there because there's that's no. That's true. That is true. You often can't park things because they just the potency of that that idea. I think goes. I I, I feel similarly if I've got like a book idea, I I, I have to do it then. Otherwise, you've it, got I just so give up. Many books. How <laughs> how how are you doing? Or also, you you don't sleep, do you? Well, no, I'm not a great sleeper, but you know, I don't do a lot of the stuff I used to do. So people might still call me yeah. a presenter. I don't. I haven't presented a TV show in bloody ages. I don't really do that stuff. So I do have more time. Do you time. like not doing that stuff? I love it. Do you it. like not presenting? Yeah. yeah, because I, you know, 
I don't really get offered that much stuff these days because I think people just don't think I'm interested and I don't know how much of me could stand there talking about something I don't care about. necessarily care about. So, yeah. you know, in this stuff I do. So I'm, you know, I, I do have more time. But like you, I think, you know, getting that balance, it's a lovely problem to have. It's really lucky because we love what we do. It is just... You know, I think for any parents out there getting that balance and feeling like, you know, we're not going to be judged, that there lies the problem. But, you know, we're all doing our best. We're all trying our best. And, you know, you're doing it exceptionally. You know, I, I love what you've created over the last couple of years that we've been able to watch. It's been an absolute treat. And I, oh, I love seeing how you use your creativity and how you channel what you know. It's it's truly extraordinary. Yeah. So thank you so much. And, and Billy, thank yeah. you so much for talking to me today. I feel quite moved sitting down with you. I mean, I didn't sleep last night either. But I, I also feel like I just get such a, like... I just get so emotional when we, like, connect, even in these little sort of sl- sliding in DMs, you know, or just seeing those moments. I don't know that I have anyone from that period of time that I do with it's not like something we do extensively either but it's like it's quite moving for me to sit down with you so thanks well thank you I I so enjoyed it and um, I can't wait to see what you do next I love what you're doing Billy I love what you're doing take it easy my friend oh it is such an honour to be able to call Billy a mate what an impressive human being she is if you haven't seen I Hate Susie oh my god please watch I Hate Susie and if you haven't seen Rare Beasts which is phenomenal just go do it watch them immediately beautiful pieces of work I had another old friend of mine on the podcast a couple of weeks ago, Mr Jake Humphrey. You can always go back and listen to it. We've had the most beautiful feedback from that episode, which I so appreciate. Subscribe to Happy Place and you can listen to the episodes whenever they drop. In the meantime, thank you again to Brilliant Billy, to the producers of this episode, Matt Hill and Anushka Tate at Rethink Audio, and as ever, to you lovely lot. I love you all. Thank you for listening. I'll see you soon. This is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.,